Hey, thank you, Trina. Good morning, everyone. And uh, I'm going to ask all of us in this room to put our hands together and to welcome in just a moment everybody that's watching online and engaging the live stream from our Eagle Hawk campus. So let's uh, welcome them this morning to uh, our church service. It's great to have them. If you haven't realized, they shifted their church service to the same time as ours today, and they gathered at 9.30 together for a breakfast, a big breakfast. So uh, we're having a barbecue lunch afterwards, uh, so I trust that uh, you've had a great breakfast together uh, over there in that campus location and a good time of worship together. Well, I have been blessed over the summer. Like, I have really enjoyed our summer series favorites where we have just engaged in a variety of different messages, hearing different people come and share either it's a favorite Bible verse, passage, story, and it has been a wonderful time together of sitting under the ministry of some of these different people, and so I'm really grateful for all of that. Today, I want to share with you a story that uh, is one of my favorite stories that's found uh, in, the, in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 9, uh, and it's a significant story, a story of incredible transformation in the life of this individual. You know, history is replete with stories of the lives of men and women who have been changed or transformed because they encountered Jesus. Uh, you see it time and time again. In fact... Uh, uh, John Newton, the writer of the, the song uh, that many of us know, uh, Amazing Grace, a slave trader and uh, life just kind of going in a completely different direction until God got a hold of his life. There are other individuals that at different times going in different directions, doing their own things and their lives were transformed. St. Augustine was rumored to have enjoyed wine, women, song, and it all changed from him on one day when Jesus got a hold of his life as well. Now, maybe you know somebody here today whose life has been transformed because they met Jesus. Or maybe you're here or you're watching online and maybe the best example of that is it's your own life. It's been transformed because you too met Jesus. I want to share the story today of, a, of an individual we see in the scriptures in Acts, in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 9, a man whose life was radically transformed. Who was it? It was Saul of Tarsus. Now, who was Saul? Well, we know him as Paul mostly because uh, later on his name was changed to Paul. But who was Saul? Well, he was a highly educated Pharisee who was trained in the intricacies of the Jewish law. He was zealous for God. And, you know, as you uh, read his story, as he shares much of his own journey of faith throughout the New Testament scriptures, you realize that he was not only zealous for God, but he was a guardian of the Jewish religion and ways. And his story of transformation begins in Acts chapter 9. I mean, we're introduced to him back in Acts chapter 7, and we see a bit of it in Acts chapter 3, but his transformation really begins to occur in, uh, in Acts chapter 9. But the story opens in this way. In verse 1 it says, Meanwhile Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. So he went to the high priest where he requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus, asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any followers of the way he found there. And he wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. Now Luke, who later became a really good friend of Saul's, 
He actually uses some strong language right here, but if you go back into Acts chapter 8, verse 3, he uses some very strong language to depict uh, what was kind of going on in Saul. In Acts chapter 8, verse 3, he says that Saul made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women and putting them in prison. You know, that picture that we get of Saul in both 8 and 9 is one of an angry, violent man whose sole mission in life was to arrest and to eradicate anybody who was kind of connected to this new movement of Jesus or this way of living. Well, as the story unfolds, uh, as Saul approached Damascus, which was about a six-day journey from Jerusalem, imagine walking this journey. We're talking around 150 miles, 200 kilometers, a six-day journey. As Saul approached the city of Damascus, Luke says this to us in verse 3. He says, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. Now, in in, uh, uh, later accounts of all of this, Paul actually goes on to say that this light that was shining around him was brighter than the the midday sun. Verse 4, he fell to the ground and he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? To which Saul responded, who are you, Lot? And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city and you'll be told what you must do. The men with Saul stood speechless for they heard the sound of someone's voice, but they saw no one. Saul picked himself up off the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he was blind. So his companions led him by the hand to Damascus, where he there he remained. He remained there blind for three days, and he did not eat or drink. Now, let's just pause here for a moment. You know, as Saul, we're told, as he approached the city of Damascus, this light that was much brighter than the midday sun suddenly shone around him, and this voice from heaven suddenly broke into Saul's world, into this entourage, Saul and whoever else was with him. And this voice said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Now, Saul responds to this bright light and this voice from heaven with two questions. And I want to suggest that they're probably the most uh, important questions that anybody could ever ask. You know, we've all got questions if, uh, you know, uh, spend enough time with somebody and uh, they'll soon tell you, if I can speak to God, I've got a number of different questions. Well, often those questions can be answered to us by the scriptures, but Saul asks two questions. There is one question in this account, and then if you flip over into Acts chapter 22, there is another question that he asks. It's just a different account of this same experience. But the first question that Paul asks is simply this, who are you, Lord? Now, he asked the question, and while we don't get a sense of what his response was, I I think he was undoubtedly shocked when the voice from heaven said, I am Jesus. I am Jesus from Nazareth, the one that you are persecuting. You know, Jesus was a common name in that day. Saul knew exactly in that moment who he was speaking to or whom he had asked the question of. And after all, these disciples, these people that he'd been pursuing, he suddenly realizes in this, in this moment that they're right. That this person from Nazareth, this Jesus that had been arrested and then crucified, that he'd actually risen from the dead. He was alive. And then in Acts chapter 22, verse, uh, verse 10, you get this really gutsy and vulnerable uh, question 
that Saul asks of Jesus. He's begun by saying, who are you, Lord? And now he says, what should I do, Lord? You know, often uh, we might uh, have lots of questions uh, to God about other people. But in this moment, Saul, he says, well, who are you, Lord? And then he says, Lord, what is it that you want me to do? It's gutsy and it is vulnerable. To which Jesus responds to Saul and he says, get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. In fact, in Acts chapter, uh, in, in Acts chapter 26, uh, the response that, that Jesus gives to Saul is, is even more detailed than that. But in essence, the response was, get up and head into the city of Damascus. And, and it's in this location that you will be told what you must do. You know, it's interesting, isn't it, that in, a, in this encounter that Saul has with Jesus, that, that Jesus doesn't give him the whole picture. He gives him just what he needs to do in that particular moment. He says, get up and go into the city of Damascus. And it's in this location that you'll be told what you are to do. Well, Saul, or when he opened his eyes, presumably his eyes have been shut by this blinding light. When he opens his eyes, he suddenly realizes that he can't see. And that must have been incredibly disconcerting in this moment. You know, it's one thing to have a bright light in your eye and, and you know, uh, being a little bit dazzled. But Paul, uh, Saul opens his eyes and he can't see a thing. He's completely blinded and he's dependent upon that group of people that he's with. And so they lead him by the hands the rest of the way into the city of Damascus. And he was undoubtedly shaken by this entire experience because Luke tells us that he was unable to eat or drink for three days. All he could do was sit in blind silence and ponder this encounter that he had just had with Jesus on the road to Damascus. Well, the story continues in verse 10 by introducing us to uh, another individual, a certain believer by the name of Ananias, who was living in the city of Damascus. Now, what do we know about him? Well, we don't know too much, but this is what Luke says. He says, the Lord spoke to this person, Ananias. He spoke to him in a vision saying, Ananias. And Ananias said, yes, Lord. And the Lord said, go over to Straight Street to the house of Judas. And when you get there, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He's praying to me right now. I've shown him a vision of a man named Ananias coming in and laying hands on him so he can see again. Now, what do we know about Ananias? You know, this is all we know about him. We don't know anything about him before and we don't know anything about him afterwards. This is the only picture or glimpse that we get of this person called Ananias. You know, we don't know much about him apart from the fact that he was a follower of Jesus and therefore in the city of Damascus, he was one of Saul's targets. You know, this week uh, I began to ponder for just a little bit, began to wonder about where maybe he first encountered Jesus. Where Ananias first came to understand who is Jesus and then came to know him personally. I mean, was Ananias there in Jerusalem at that very first Passover? Was he there when when Jesus rode into the city on a donkey and uh, through that entire experience? Was he right there in Jerusalem? Was he there when Jesus was arrested and then crucified and then resurrected from the dead? 
or we don't know. Or, or maybe was Ananias there at, uh, at Pentecost with a whole group of other people who'd come from different parts uh, around that region and they come into the city right there at Pentecost and they were waiting there when, when suddenly the Spirit of God fell in a very profound way uh, in, in Acts chapter 2. And maybe that was his moment. Or, or maybe Ananias was never a part of the, the church right there in Jerusalem at all, but he had been introduced to Jesus by other disciples who had come to Damascus from Jerusalem. I mean, we know as we read the story that uh, the word was going out and, and people were beginning to, to, to leave Jerusalem in fear of their lives and they were spreading out in different locations. Was it in this spot? Or whatever the case, we don't know how he came to Damascus or what happened to him afterwards. But what we do know, according to Acts chapter 26, uh, Acts 22, verse 12, is that he was a devout man and that he was a willing servant of God. And what do we detect from this vision from God? Well, you read it and you think, wow, that was incredibly specific. You know, in these verses, uh, God told him that he said uh, he gave him a specific street. It's called Straight Street. A specific house, the house of Judas. A specific man, he said, there is, a, there is a man by the name of Saul, Saul of Tarsus, that's going to be in the house of Judas. And he said that there was a specific thing that, thing that this man was doing. He was praying, and then he gave him a specific vision that this man had just received. And then in this vision, he was going to meet a man by the name of Ananias. God was incredibly specific and directive with this vision that he gave to Ananias. And you might think, well, why was that? Well, God knew in this moment that he understood that he was asking Ananias to do something bold and dangerous and that he would need uh, some specific directions or directives to confirm all that he was about to do. I mean, we read this story. And it's easy for us to gloss over this story, but we have to remind ourselves that Ananias is living there in the city of Damascus and word had gone out that this man by the name of Saul was coming to Damascus with letters from the high priest to arrest and to imprison anybody who was connected to the way of Jesus. Saul was, uh, sorry, Ananias is aware of this. And so you can just imagine in this, in this moment where he's leaning in and, and God gets his attention through this vision and says, Ananias, I've got a job for you to do. Well, he was understandably uh, a little perturbed about all of this because as the story goes on, he asks the question of God. He says to him uh, in verses 13 through 19, this is how the story goes. He says, but Lord, I have heard many people talk about the terrible things this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem. And he is authorized by the leading priest to arrest anyone who calls upon your name. And here's what the Lord said. Ananias, go. For Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to the kings as well as to the people of Israel. And I will show him how much he must suffer, suffer for my name's sake. So Ananias went and found Saul. He laid his hands on him and he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instantly, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he regained his sight. Then he got up and was baptized. Afterward, he ate some food and regained his strength. And Saul stayed with the believers in Damascus for a few days. 
you know, the question of Ananias, I think, is quite reasonable, isn't it, in light of what was unfolding in the midst of this encounter. I mean, after all, after all that Saul had previously done right there in Jerusalem and was now planning to come and do Damascus, it's a fair thing to kind of, kind of push back into all of that. But as we think about this story, this, the response of Ananias is incredibly commendable. And so is the magnanimous gesture of laying hands upon Saul and then addressing him with the words, Brother Saul. I mean, we're talking about the individual who had been persecuting believers. You know, blind Saul couldn't see the love of, uh, of Christ upon the, the face of Ananias. So what's he do? He communicates it through his physical touch and through the kindness of his words. You see, for Saul in that moment, who couldn't even see Ananias, for Ananias to, to reach out and to touch him, to put his hand on his shoulder and to bring comfort and, and use the words brother Saul must have just so profoundly impacted Saul in that particular moment. Changed his life. You know, we're told in that moment that what does Saul do? Well, suddenly he can now see. The scales have fallen from his eyes. He can see both now physically and spiritually. And he immediately wants to identify with Jesus and the other believers by being baptized. Had Ananias, kind of told, had Ananias suggested that that's what he should do? Well, we're not told in this story. But it's quite likely that Saul had already seen or heard about Christian baptisms. And so in this moment, Saul he chooses to publicly identify himself with Christ. Now, that's a transformation. And Saul is now numbered amongst uh, these believers of the way, this group of people that he'd previously attempted to kill or to imprison. And the change that happens is really quite remarkable. You know, Luke says uh, in verses 20, and 20 through 22, he says, at once. Or maybe your Bible says immediately. At once he began preaching about Jesus in the, in the synagogues. These very places that he was about to go to, to, to find anybody connected to the way and to arrest, he now goes into these very synagogues and he begins to preach about Jesus. He goes in and he says, he indeed is the son of God. And all who heard him were amazed. Isn't this the same man who caused such devastation amongst Jesus' followers in Jerusalem? They asked. And didn't he come here to arrest them and take them in chains to the leading priests? Luke says that Saul's preaching became more and more powerful. And the Jews in Damascus couldn't refute his proofs that Jesus was indeed the Messiah. Now that's an incredible story. A story of great transformation. But what does this story teach us? Well... I wanted to share a few brief things with us today that I think it reveals to us, that it teaches us as followers of Jesus, what we can learn from this. Uh, I want to share just a few things with us before I, I make some personal application that maybe applies to us personally and then, then brought even more so collectively to us as a church. But here's the first point I want to make. You see, as we read this story, it reminds us that a life-changing encounter with Jesus always grabs our attention. 
did for St. Augustine. It did for John Newton. It did for a little fellow by the name of Zacchaeus. It did for a woman uh, who uh, wandered out to a well uh, in the middle of a day, a Samaritan woman who encountered Jesus and uh, he got her attention and suddenly it changed her life. But see, a life-changing encounter with Jesus, it always grabs our attention. You see, this story in the book of Acts is often commonly known as Saul's conversion story or his Damascus Road experience. Now, Saul's encounter with Jesus is so dramatic that uh, as we follow that story, it starts him down a path that in time would make him not only the greatest evangelist in the history of the church, but he'd also become the most prolific writer in the history of the church. I mean, most of the New Testament scriptures that we read today, uh, they are the writings of Saul, who, who became known as Paul. But you know what? This passage, when you read this, also describes another encounter. It's an encounter that is somewhat less dramatic and less well-known, but it is just as significant. It's just different. It's an encounter that happens between Jesus and a godly man from Damascus called Ananias. You see, where Saul had this bold, almost violent confrontation with God, with with the resurrected Christ... Ananias was just somewhere in Damascus, maybe in his home. He's just kind of leaning into the presence of God. And God speaks to him in a a quiet, small voice. He just gets his attention in the midst of a vision. And what does that show to us today? What it reveals to us, that, uh, I think to all of us, that no two encounter is ever the same. And God is capable of doing whatever he wants, whenever he wants, to get the attention of all of us. And so if you're sitting here in this room and you're watching online today and you're thinking about this, the reality is that, you know, there is no place that God can't reach you and your particular life. A life-changing experience with Jesus has a way of grabbing our attention. Well, here's a second point that I see in this story. A life-changing encounter with Jesus has a way of providing real and lasting transformation. I mean, you don't need to be a a Rhodes Scholar to read this story to realize that this is a story of great transformation. And before meeting Jesus, Saul was an angry, driven, violent, and self-righteous individual. That's who he was. In his some of his latter writings, Saul was not afraid to kind of name who he was before he encountered Jesus. But after encountering Jesus on this road to Damascus, Saul was transformed uh, bit by bit, but he was transformed into a humble and influential apostle who eventually died as a martyr because of his faith in Jesus Christ. What's that say to us? Jesus changes lives. You know, I'm looking at across this room this morning, and I know they'll have people online as well too, that that's a part of your story here today as well too. Whether you came to faith in Jesus as a young person or, or whether it's just been in the last month or so or the last 12 months, you also know that Jesus changes lives. You see, that's the message of Christianity. The message of Christianity is, is one of real and lasting transformation. And Saul testified to this truth you know, over and over again throughout his writings. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, he said, anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. 
The old life is gone, a new life has begun. That's transformation. That's real and lasting transformation. In the book of First Timothy, he writes and says, this is a trustworthy saying and everyone should accept it. Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners and I, says Paul, am the worst of them all. But God had mercy on me. That Christ Jesus could use me as a prime example of his great patience with even the worst sinners. He said, then others will realize that they too can believe in him and receive eternal life. Saul, who later became known as Paul, lived. He lived with this daily appreciation, with this truth, the realization that Jesus changes lives. But there's a third and a final point that I just want to make before I may make some application today. And it's simply this. A a life-changing encounter with Jesus ultimately provides us or gives to us purpose and direction for our lives. And we see it right here in the lives of both of these characters. Saul, he was doggedly determined. He was going about his own purposes in life. He was zealous for God. He was determined that he was going to eradicate anybody that was connected to the way, to the way of Jesus. Anything that was going to unsettle their their Jewish practices and their way of life. Saul was determined that he was the person. He was going to do that. Well, he was chasing his own purposes until he encountered Jesus on the road to Damascus. As he was heading towards that city, he had no idea in his mind that in the coming years, he would become uh, the greatest ambassador of Jesus Christ because of his changed life. Well, what what about Ananias? He's just simply minding his own business. Maybe you could say that he was even keeping his head down in the city of Damascus because he knew what was coming. He was just kind of living his own life, doing his own thing. Not to say that he didn't have any purpose and direction in any of that, but he was doing his own thing when it was into this moment that the Spirit of God gave him a vision. Jesus reached out to him and gave him a vision that completely, in one sense, unsettled him, but it changed the course of his life. He asked some questions and and God gave some confirmation into all of that. And whilst it didn't make a lot of sense and it certainly involved him taking a considerable risk, the Lord had called and Ananias responded. And he stepped out of the background and into the spotlights to fulfill in that moment God's given purpose on his life. We don't know what happened then with Ananias. Or what he then went on to do. But we know what God did with Saul. And the way in which he used him. So as we think about these stories. Or this story. As we think about uh, what God was doing in the midst of all of this. What do we apply to our lives today? You know at the beginning of of another year. 2024. None of us know what this year is going to hold for us. What's coming down at us? For many of us, there's going to be some great things in store for us. Others, there might be some challenges in life as well too. But as we think about this story, you know, how do we apply it to our lives? Well, I want to suggest to us in the, in the few moments that I've got left here is that I think it's got some personal application and I think it then has even some wider application collectively to all of us that uh, maybe you're a part of Bendigo Baptist Church. 
But let me just start personally for us. You know, I wonder what it might mean for you and I personally. Well, the word encounter simply means to run into. That's what it means. And I want to suggest today that running into God is one of the best things that can happen to us in our lives. You know, if you know and love Jesus Christ already, then you had a moment when you ran into him and you're here today because it's completely changed your life. You would say that that encounter you had with Jesus was the best thing that's ever happened in your life. Running into him is a good thing. I want to ask the question today, because there's always a chance here or online that maybe we've never run into Jesus. You see, uh, have you ever experienced the life-changing power of Jesus? You might have seen it around you, you might have seen other people engage in all of that, but I want to say today that somebody else's experience of Jesus can never change us, but what it can certainly do is motivate us to want to encounter him for ourselves. See, when Saul personally encountered Jesus, it changed his life. It was in that moment that God spoke to him and said, Saul, Saul, why is it that you kick against the goads? That's not a word that we use, but what does that word goads mean? It means to, you know, why is it that you, you are pushing back against the pricks and the nudges and the promptings of my spirit in your life? Well, do you know what? That's what we do sometimes, isn't it? God's at work in our lives. He's trying to get our attention. Uh, and uh, there are nudges or pricks that are, that are kind of pushing around there. But we pull back from that. Or maybe for some of us here today, that Jesus has been kind of calling us for a long time. And he's been wanting to reveal himself to us uh, in a greater measure. But we have been kind of pushing back against all that. We've been kicking against the goads, against the pricks and the nudges and the promptings in our life. So I'm going to ask you today, is it time for you to run into Jesus? Now, some of us might be running in the wrong direction, spending time in all the wrong places, and maybe our hearts are being drowned in the lure of the things of this world. And today, at the beginning of another year, it's a, it's a moment in time where we, maybe we need to make a decision to run into and to seek an encounter with Jesus. Or maybe... As we think about this personally for our lives, you know, for many of us, we've already run into Jesus and uh, we're a little bit like Ananias. We're a godly uh, individual. You know, we're somebody who is already uh, uh, following after Jesus. And so what might an encounter with Jesus look like for you? But while an encounter that... Uh, well, we've learned from this story that encounters are all very different, aren't they? You know, while uh, such an encounter is going to be different for all of us, I want to suggest that a life-changing encounter with Jesus only begins with an openness to hearing from him. And so are you open today to hearing from God? As we look out across this year, are you open? Are you open to creating some space in your life to listen for him with the intention of, of being willing to allow him to change the trajectory of the course of your life? He may ask you to do something like Ananias. He may ask you to do something completely different, but it begins with a willingness to be open to what he wants to do.
You see, who knows what God wants to do in and through any of our lives here in this room? What I do know is that uh, he's always at work and he wants to do something in us so he can do something through us. But the only way he can do that is if we are open to encountering Jesus. See, there's a personal application for us today as we think about this story. But I think there's an also a, a much wider or collective application as well too. You know, I wonder what encountering Jesus might mean collectively for us as a church family, particularly as we think about our vision of wanting to play our part in reaching a city, a state, a nation, and even a globe for Jesus. You know, we've been called by God. The Great Commission says, Jesus said, Therefore, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. This is what he spoke over those early believers. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations. See, that's the vision that God was giving to this group. That's the vision that he still gives to us today. And I wonder what encountering Jesus might mean for us collectively if we were to grab a hold of that vision seriously and to run with that. You know, how might we run into God collectively as the people of God with that kind of a vision in 2024? Well, as I was thinking about that question just this week, uh, I've been kind of chatting with some of the members on our sermon planning team and uh, just uh, asking, you know, seeking some input from them. And and, uh, one of them came back to me and said, Dave, I actually think uh, that that picture of what the early church did is so important in all of this. So I went back to it. Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47 gives us a great picture of what they did collectively together. It says this. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all. The apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything that they had. They sold their property and possessions and they shared their money with those in need. They worshipped together at the temple each day. They've been in homes for the Lord's Supper and they shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. What did they do? This group of early believers, they collectively, collectively this group of early believers, they positioned themselves to encounter the presence of Jesus. Together, as a community of faith, they opened their hearts up towards Jesus. And God gave them this extraordinary measure of faith and vision that we are told in the scriptures that they turned their world upside down for Jesus. It was the mission of God in the hands of ordinary people as they gathered together, as they collectively gathered together and centered their lives around the goal of encountering Jesus, of worshipping Jesus, opening the word of God, sharing in meals together, praying, worshipping together, and the spirit of God began to move in their midst. And so I... 
as we kind of move into another year, I want us for just a moment to imagine what God might choose to do in and through all of us as a family if we were even more serious about encountering and responding to the presence of Jesus together. Not just individually, that's a, that's a responsibility that we have, but, but to do it collectively together. Being willing to open up our hearts together towards Jesus, uh, as we see in this story, not only changes us, but it releases the power of God through us to those that are around us. And I'd like to suggest that that would make a huge difference right here in this city. But it starts with us. So I wonder today what the Holy Spirit might be saying to you through this story. You know, as our team, our worship team begins to come back together this morning, you know, I wonder what this story is saying to you. You see, maybe for some of us who are here today, for some of us that are watching right now in this moment, it is the realization for you that you've never made that decision to run into God's. For all kinds of reasons, you've kind of been holding off and kind of just doing your own thing and uh, in your own space and you've been resisting the nudges, the pricks, the prompts of the Spirit of God in your life and today is the day. Maybe today is the day for you to run into the arms of God. But I can't make that decision for you. Saul can't make that decision for you. Other men and women down throughout the ages, they can't make that decision for you. We can see their example and we can be moved by their example. But in the end, that is something that we have to respond to. And it starts from a position, from a place of us being, being willing to say, you know what? I need to run into the presence, into the arms of, into the arms of Jesus. Is that something that you need to do today? Or maybe just for others of us here. You know, uh, our life is not like Saul's. You know, we've already encountered Jesus in our life and we're on this journey of becoming more and more like him. You know, there are moments in our lives that, uh, you know, we can find ourselves in some pretty dry patches. And if we're really honest with ourselves, you know, uh, you may, we may have opened up God's word and, we may open it up from time to time. We turn up here. And if we're honest with ourselves, we, we would say, you know what? It's been a long time since I've encountered Jesus. Since I've had a sense of him speaking to me as I've opened up his word or as I've lent in in a season of prayer. Or... And maybe for some of us today, as we lean into this year, as we move into this year, it's, around, it's a heart posture that says, you know what? I am wanting to be open even more so to encountering the presence of Christ in my life. And that's your response. See, I firmly believe as followers of Jesus that we weren't meant to just to have one experience of Jesus. You know, that first moment in our life was a really important experience because in that moment, just like Saul, we, came to re- we come to realize and understand who Christ is and what he's done for our lives. But as we walk this journey of faith and as we live in the word and uh, as we grow and mature as followers of Jesus, there will be multiple encounters that we have uh, with the risen Christ as we, as we read the words. And so maybe that's just part of our response today. It says, you know what, as the people of God here in this place, that's who I want to be. 
Or maybe it's just a decision as a church family that says, you know what, you know, I'm, I'm a part of this place, or I've been coming here for a little bit, but you know what, I'm actually putting down my roots here. And with the body of Christ right here, with the people of God, this is going to be the place in which I encounter Jesus. Or as I look back on what last year has been like for me, I realize that uh, as I continue to grow and to become more like Christ, I've got a responsibility. I've got a part to play in all of this. And so that's how I'm going to respond and give a response to Jesus. You know, I don't know what it's going to be for you or how the Spirit of God's calling you to respond today. But this is a story of transformation. And I know the Spirit of God is wanting to bring transformation, ongoing transformation into all of our lives, but we've got to be open to that. More of Jesus. More of his work in our lives. More of his work of transformation. I'm going to pray for us in just a moment. But I want to give us a moment to maybe just lean in and just think about what is that, what's the Spirit of God saying to me this morning? Would you bow your heads with me for just a moment? And give you a moment to just uh, quietly reflect. What is it for you? What's the Spirit of God prompting you to do today? Heavenly Father, we thank you for a story that reminds us once again that Jesus changes lives. We thank you today for maybe the work that you've already done in our life and for the change that you've brought to us. Lord Jesus, if there is somebody that is here today somebody that is watching today, that has never run to you, Father, I pray that your spirit would prompt them right now to want to say, I've got to run into the arms of Jesus. Father, we thank you that a life-changing encounter with your son, Jesus, it gets our attention. We can, we can ignore it, but Father, we thank you that you do everything you possibly can to get our attention. We thank you again that a life-changing encounter with Jesus brings real and lasting transformation. But left to ourselves, we can't make ourselves good enough, but Jesus makes us good enough. We thank you for the purpose and the direction that he gives to us. Holy Spirit, I thank you for the way in which you're at work in our lives. The nudges, the prompts, the pricks. The way in which you are, even right now, endeavoring to get our attention. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would just blow through this place, blow through our lives in 2024 in a fresh new way. Blow through in power. 
And as you do so, would you, would you just renew our passion for Jesus? Renew our passion to want to encounter the resurrected Christ. To not just know more about the resurrected Christ, but to truly know the resurrected Christ. Lord Jesus, that is the cry of our heart today. To know you more. To grow deeper in our relationship with you. To have a sense of when you are just speaking to us. To have a sense of what's on your heart that you want us to know about. Would you do that, we pray? Father, we invite you to do your good and your perfect work in our lives. And it is our prayer that by the end of this year, that our life will be just a little bit more different. There will be just that little bit extra deeper work of your spirit in our lives as well too. And we pray that for your name's sake, We pray that in the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And everyone said, Amen. Amen.